You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. This is the verbs that were used of what happened there as Jesus said at the meal. Taken, blessed, broken, and given. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. This story uh, in Luke's gospel, it is unique to Luke, about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, is one of many of the resurrection, or excuse me, post-resurrection accounts that we find in the gospels. What's interesting about the Gospels is, you know, for the most part, they're following the same storyline. I mean, John's a little bit um, unusual as opposed to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they all have a a beginning, a middle, and an end, and they introduce Jesus. Things go bad for him. Some people want to kill him. Um, It develops, you know, people understand who he is. He's saying things. He's doing things. He's teaching. He's telling parables. He's calming storms, and he's feeding the multitude, and delivering the captive, giving sight to the blind, the, the lame are walking, the, the deaf are hearing, the mute are speaking. And of course, it, it culminates in his death and his resurrection. But the post-resurrection accounts in the Gospels, which correspond to this time of year, right, after Easter. So this Easter is not just a day, it's a season, Easter tide. And in this Easter season, we read these texts about what happened after the resurrection, because that's, that's the part of the story we find ourselves in. What's interesting about the post-resurrection stories in the Gospels is they are all over the place. Like, it's the, it's the point in which the Gospels diverge the most. They, they, they go every different direction. None of them are anywhere close to the same. And some of them, they're set in Galilee, and some they're set in Jerusalem, and some Jesus is doing like miraculous things, like kind of passing through walls, and other other times he's doing the most ordinary things, like cooking breakfast or or having a meal. In in this in this story, he kind of disappears. Like it's as it's as though they had no idea what had happened and no idea really to explain what had happened. Everything else in the Gospels before the, before the resurrection often finds some kind of reference to the Old Testament, right? So the, the Gospel will be telling a story about Jesus, and then they'll say, Jesus did this, and this is what should have been expected because there was a Hebrew prophet once upon a time who said the Messiah would do these things. And so they're all the time connecting the dots for us, the Gospel writers, the Gospel writers are saying Jesus' life fulfills this prophecy from an ancient Hebrew prophet. Until we get to the resurrection. And after the resurrection, there doesn't seem to be a reference to anything in the Old Testament. That's largely because there's no reference to the resurrection in the Old Testament. And no one expected Jesus to die. Like Jesus had predicted the death of the Son of Man. He said the Son of Man must uh, be uh, ridiculed, must suffer, must die, and the third day be raised again. He says it multiple times according to the Gospels. But no one seems to understand what he means by that. And of course, we can, we can hear those stories and we can imagine why, why were they so clueless? Like, why did the disciples not know more than what they knew? But the thing is, how could they have? 
If, if I said to you all, man, the end of this semester at the college is really killing me. I mean, are you going to do anything about that? Is anybody going to organize? Is, is there going to be like a protest on campus? Like, why would you kill, kill Robbie? Like, don't do that. Right? When they heard Jesus saying the Son of Man must suffer and die, there's no way they thought he would actually die. That had to be hyperbolic. Right? I'm starving to death. I could eat a horse. None of that is true. Right? It's hyperbole. It has to be the way they would have understood it. Because who's the Messiah? The Messiah is God's anointed one. Anointed to do what? Anointed to become king. King of what? King of Israel. Where were they? Israel. Where was the capital? Jerusalem. Where had they gone? Exactly. The city. The city of David. He's the one. Obviously, they expect him to ascend to the throne so that when he dies, they are utterly shocked and they scatter. And even within a few days, when they find an empty tomb and they start to hear rumors about the tomb being empty, and then they start to hear rumors about certain ones have seen him, right? One time the, the, the 12 was together, uh, minus Judas and also minus Thomas. So I guess it was the 10 that was together. <laughs> and they saw him, but then Thomas wasn't there. And he's like, I don't know what you saw, fellas, but come on, give me a break. Dead men don't talk. And you don't see dead men. And then there's these, these two, right? Look, I've often said about the Gospels that if you didn't know any better, you'd have thought a bunch of country fishermen had written it. <laughs> right? They, they were a bunch of country fishermen that wrote it. And then I'd say this, too, about the post-resurrection stories. If you didn't know any better, something had happened that none of them could have expected and none of them knew exactly how to respond to. This is how the resurrection stories in the gospel sound to me. What did you see? I don't know. What did you see? I saw him, and then I didn't see him. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> what did you see? I don't know. Well, I heard that Mary had seen an empty tomb, and then I heard that Peter and John had gone and saw it, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. Well, yeah, I heard that too. And I heard that Mary and the other Mary and Salome were there and that they saw a vision of an angel and the angel had spoken to them. I hadn't heard that. What did you hear? Right? The stories are just all over the place. They're, in a way, exactly what we should have expected had something happened that could not have been anticipated and that people were trying to make sense of what this was like. And so this is one, one of those stories, the Emmaus Road. And so we have two disciples, one of them, apparently Cleopas. Uh, we don't know who the other one is, but they're, they're on their way, walking down from Jerusalem or up from Jerusalem down to Emmaus. And as they're walking, uh, Jesus walks up on the road. And he's like, man, you, you folks seem kind of sad. Debbie Downers, what's, what's going on? They go, what are you talking about? You're the only Jew in Jerusalem who hasn't heard? Jesus of Nazareth, the one we thought was the Messiah. Listen to that carefully. We thought he was the Messiah. But how could he be? Because Messiahs don't die. Messiahs don't get crucified. We thought he was the Messiah. But then he was crucified. And now things have gotten weirder 
because his tomb is empty. And, and it's been confirmed that his tomb is empty. And so it says that, Jesus says, did you not know that the Messiah must suffer many things? And then it says this, he, different translations translate this differently, but he opened for them the scriptures, all of the scriptures from Moses through the prophets. He, he interprets for them all the scriptures. Now, the, the word there for interpret is the Greek word hermeneuo, which I guess could be translated, I interpret. Um, the Greek god in the, in the, in the Greek um, pantheon, the, there's a god called Hermes. Hermes takes his name from the same verb. Hermes is the messenger of the gods, the one who delivers messages. If anybody saw um, that old Hercules movie, I think it was played by Paul Schaefer, uh, the musician from the old David Letterman show. Uh, did that, that connection didn't work for you? None of you? Okay. Really dated myself to a very specific time there. But Hermes was the god of messages. Now, Hermes, unfortunately, was, was known for kind of some, being a bit of a trickster. And sometimes he would, delay, he would delay a message or he would alter a message. But the term simply means interpretation. It means to, it means to explain and this is what Jesus now does for these two disciples, starting with Moses, working through the prophets. He explains to them all the scriptures, must have been a long walk, <laughs> all the scriptures and how they point to him. I think this is, this is key, and this relates to what, what I was saying last week, the way in which Peter was able to read Psalm 16 and say, look, David's prophesying about the resurrection of the Messiah. Well, I don't think you get there without the resurrection of the Messiah first. Like, you have to have Jesus. And you have to have Jesus raised from the dead. And only then can you read Psalm 16 that way. It's, we, we call it Christian readings of the text or Christological readings of the text. We understand that what we now call the Old Testament is a testimony to Jesus when properly read. Right? Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and he's in the New Testament revealed. I said that last week. I didn't, it didn't originate with me. That's an, that's an old statement. But it's, it's a good one. Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed and he's in the New Testament revealed. And what was concealed, he uncovers. He explains for these disciples. And it's exactly what we need. There's a long story here, and we can, we can point at lots of different places. But it's the whole counsel of Scripture that we need in order to get the best picture of who God is. We can take any one part, and when having that one part, that little part, we can perhaps misunderstand what's actually being said about God, much like they had all misunderstood, obviously, because they didn't anticipate what was going to happen, nor did they understand what had happened. So they, they needed a teacher. They needed someone to explain it to them. One of, my, one of my favorite books is a book called The Constellation of Philosophy. It's written by a man named Boethius, and he's kind of early medieval kind of church kind of guy, and he was pretty prominent. He, he lived in... Um, um, he was wealthy and he was in the government, but there was a coup. 
and the government was overthrown. And in the process, he ended up being sent into exile. And so in exile, he writes this book called The Constellation of Philosophy. He personifies philosophy kind of like the woman of wisdom, kind of like Proverbs chapter 8. And she comes to him and she consoles him and reminds him what he knows. But in the process, and one of, one of the ways in which he describes uh, Lady Wisdom is that she, she's wearing this wonderful dress, but it's old and it's tattered and it's torn. And he says to her, why, why is your dress so torn? What happened to you? And she says, well, when Socrates died, everyone tried to claim that they knew the truth and they grabbed for me and I had to wrestle away. And they, they tore my dress and now they have pieces of my dress, like the Epicureans have a piece and the Stoics have a piece and all these other uh, approaches to life have a, have a bit of the truth but not the whole truth and they think what they have is the truth when, when it's not. It's just a bit, it's just a piece. And I, and I feel that's the same way we often function, right? We, we, we take a little passage of scripture, it's often out of context, it's not enough to see the whole counsel of what's going on, and we say, look, scripture says this, I've got to behave this way. But we don't see the way it fits into the long story. Again, the whole counsel of God. Keep reading until the end of the book, and only then can we see how we understand the whole. And the... Uh, the primary hermeneutical key, the main way in which we have to interpret, is Christ. Christ becomes the key of understanding the whole. And it's only in the points where we understand the way in which Christ is revealed that I think we actually understand what's going on. And if we don't understand the way in which Christ is being revealed, we don't understand what's going on. And we just have to have more patience and we have to have more latitude with one another so that we don't, we don't end up doing harm. Because this is what inevitably happens. Some piece of scripture gets used as a stick. And the, there's often some group that will get the short end of the stick. And that short end of the stick, it's often across their back. Right? Because we've interpreted the text in ways that are inconsistent with who Christ is and what is revealed in Christ. Who is this God we serve? I'll tell you who the God we serve is. The God we serve is the one who comes and dies for us. I mean, as, as Paul would tell the Romans, while we will, were still enemies, Christ died for us. It, it wasn't when we had done something right. It wasn't when we had said a prayer or when we had sung a song or when we had made a promise or when we had given a gift or when we had accomplished anything. It's when, while we were yet enemies of Christ, enemies of God, Christ dies for us. That's, that's the truth. Like the ultimate revelation of who God is, is Jesus. And if you really want to focus in on our God, we have to look at Jesus on the cross. And there we see, there we see who our God is. Now, all of these things, of course, are difficult sometimes to understand. They're, they're difficult to comprehend. Like, it doesn't, the logic of the kingdom doesn't seem like it would work. 
it's a bit upside down. Losers are winners, the last are first, the weak are in, the strong get pulled down. Like, that's not how the world works, right? The strong don't get pulled down, the weak do. The, the, the poor folks aren't blessed, the rich are. But all of that, all, all of the economy, all the, the calculus of how it all works is shifted. I, and I think it's shifted in that way to kind of show us that, that the kingdom of God that has come is different. It's other than how we would typically imagine things, how we would expect them to be. And this is what's so beautiful about this particular story is that they're confused, but that's no surprise. Um, they seem to be a bit um, anxious, uh, a bit depressed. They're kind of suffering. And they, they can learn all these things, but it's not, it's not kind of at that point that they have a revelation of who is speaking to them. Right? Jesus is interpreting all the scriptures from Moses to the prophets, explaining how they point to him. And at, at that point, they're still in the dark. Jesus is going to go on. They say, no, it's late. Friend, 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 stay with us. And so they come to the table, and he takes bread, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and he gives it to them. And their eyes are opened. This is the Lord. So, so why is it? Why is it that it wasn't when he was teaching that they recognized him? But when he was at the table that they recognized him? Because it's at the table that they had seen him again and again and again. And it was at the table that represents that his, his, the giving of his very life. When we say this is the bread of heaven, we're not talking about these little gluten-free crackers that we prepare in the morning. When we talk about the bread of heaven, we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Like, that is what we receive. When Augustine says to his congregation, behold what you are and become what you receive, you're supposed to behold your, your brokenness. You're supposed to behold your finitude, your humanity. You're supposed to behold the reality that you live in, but you're supposed to become what you receive, and what you receive is the bread of heaven. What you receive is the body of Christ. You know, in the Creed, the third article, you know, it says that we believe in the Spirit, we believe in the church, we believe in the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins, and in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. It struck me just, just recently that it doesn't say in the resurrection of the bodies, but in the resurrection of the body. So I've been, I've been confessing the creed for 35 years. This is what I believe, right? Except I don't know that I've been believing it well. Because when I've been confessing, I believe in the resurrection of the body, I thought it meant my body and your body and your body and your body. And I was thinking resurrection of bodies as though somehow we're separate and we're disconnected. 
But it doesn't say that. It says we believe in the resurrection of the body. And whose body do we believe was resurrected? Well, first and foremost, Jesus. Literally, his physical body was resurrected and we believe in it. But it goes deeper than that, as all things do with Christ. Because we, our bodies, are members of the body of Christ. And so the resurrection of the body, meaning the body of Christ, will one day include all of our bodies. But it's only to the extent that it is the body of Christ that is resurrected that we all become one. Jesus was praying a prayer for that. He was praying a prayer for unity, uh, a, a prayer of solidarity. It's, it's recorded in John chapter 17. It's a beautiful prayer. And we, we, we use the term Lord's Prayer for a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And sometimes we'll even use the, the prayer Jesus Prayer for a very short prayer that says, um, uh, Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner, uh, Son of God. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We call that the Jesus Prayer. But really, Jesus' prayer is recorded in John 17. It's about how much he loves God and how much he's one with the Father and how much he loves his disciples and how much he's one with his disciples and how much all he really longs for is for his disciples to be one with the Father. Father, I want you to make, I want you, to make you one with them the same way I'm one with you and I'm one with them. Right? Jesus, Jesus is the one that holds all these things together. And then he says this, and this is the part that I think connects to this passage and this day, and this table, and this message. Jesus says to his disciples, there are so many things that I need to teach you, but you're not ready for it. But I'm going to give you the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. I want you to think about that. There's so many things I need to teach you, but you're not ready. Which means they're not said nor are they written, but that there's a promise that the Spirit would be given and that the Spirit would lead into, into all truth. And I think that's exactly where we find the church when the Spirit gets poured out and acts and now they're starting to grow and they're starting to see things they hadn't seen before. They're starting to know things they didn't know before. They're starting to connect dots that they could not have connected before because the Spirit was on them and because now they were seeing everything through the lens of Christ. And again, I think we learn this. We, we experience this, not simply in our heads when we have certain ideas, but in our hearts and our bodies when we come again and again and again and we receive the bread and wine, the, the body and the blood of Christ, because when we do so, as C.S. Lewis says, this becomes spiritual food for our souls. It, like, it feeds our souls the same way food feeds our bodies. And it shapes us. Taken blessed, broken, and given. And they realized it's the Lord. 
And then he disappears. And they're like, man, we got to tell somebody about this. I don't know if there was a benediction. I don't know if they just jumped up from the table. They ran out, you know. I jumped down here. If I ran out right now, you really wouldn't know what to do, would you? I'd be, tell, I'd be going somewhere to tell somebody that Jesus is risen. That the grave is empty. That there's a better way to live this life. Better than we could have imagined. Better than we even knew. And there's, there's like breadcrumbs that have been left along the way. And we, we can learn to, to read and interpret those crumbs. But ultimately, they point to Jesus. And this practice reminds us of that every week. Because God is love. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.